This morning, we are going to talk about marriage. This is a topical message. Uh, It's been a while since we have uh, preached topical messages here. Um, You might ask yourself, why are we talking about marriage? Uh, I'll tell you in a second. But before we talk about some reasons why we're going to address this particular topic, I want to give you a heads up about what's coming in the next four weeks. Uh, This week and next week, we will talk about marriage. And then in two weeks or two weeks after that, we're going to talk about money. Two areas, both start with M, um, and both seem to give us trouble occasionally. And therefore, we thought, let's, uh, let's address and help us think carefully how the Bible um, teaches us, instructs us how to think about, about these two topics. Why talk about marriage? Because the Bible talks about it, uh, and thus we should address it. The uh, text that we are about to read this morning is one of several passages that explicitly speak about marriage and about how to relate to one another as uh, spouses. Another reason why we want to talk about marriage is because our culture has redefined uh, the purpose of marriage. Now, I'm not talking about merely the fact that our culture has redefined um, what marriage is, uh, meaning that it's uh, the union between a man and a woman. That has been challenged uh, and is being challenged right now. I want to talk about a different change, a change that happened centuries earlier about the purpose of marriage. What is marriage for? Why do people get married? In a very well-written book uh, on marriage, Pastor Tim Keller observes that our culture uh, has experienced a change, a significant change in understanding the purpose of marriage. Uh, In that book, he points out that in previous centuries, when Christianity had a stronger influence upon culture, um, in previous centuries... Uh, the purpose of marriage uh, was fairly widely understood, that marriage was to create a framework for lifelong devotion and love between a husband and a wife. It was a solemn bond designed to help each party subordinate individual impulses and interests in favor of the relationship, to be a sacrament of God's love and serve the common good. But something happened in the 16th century, the Enlightenment, a shift occurred. People began to redefine the purpose of marriage as personal gratification. We now, uh, as of in, in recent centuries, we marry for ourselves. We marry to, to satisfy our own desires, our own cravings, and think that other, the other person can fulfill that reason, that, that, those desires and, and hopes. It's easy for us today to drink from the fountain of our culture, of our society, when it comes to understanding the purpose of marriage. Why, why marriage and the expectations we have from marriage and the hopes we have from it. So because our culture is so powerful in, help, in, in shaping our hopes, our expectations, Uh, for marriage and for the purpose of marriage, we want to take some time to allow God's Word to challenge us, to help us think through what what is marriage about. Uh, Another reason why we want to talk about marriage is because I see in our own families, here in our congregation, how the dynamics between husbands and wives uh, are, are unfolding 
First of all, I am grateful and I praise God that an increasing number of our families are starting to open up and become vulnerable and talk about number of challenges that they experience in their marriage life. I praise God when couples have the courage to actually start voicing that they are working through some marriage issues. And they would like to, they would like to address that with pastoral counsel. Friends, it is much better to address those issues on the early side than on the later side. So I praise God that our couples, our families are seeing a greater initiative and desire to open up and talk about marriage challenges. So we want to address and talk about it together. And a final reason why we want to think about marriage is because we, I see, we see an increasing number of singles among us. Um, and uh, students as well. And perhaps, perhaps if, if you singles uh, or students are like I was when I was in your shoes, uh, I desired, and you probably desire, one day to be married. I pray that while God helps you be content and joyful in God in this season of your life, if you are longing for marriage, that you would prepare well for it by considering your expectations, considering your views, considering how Scripture addresses and speaks of marriage, so that as you pray for that to happen in your life in the future, that you approach it with the hopes and the expectations that Scripture itself has. So we want to help even single um, men and women among us to understand the biblical teaching on marriage. By the way, this summer we have been reading, uh, some of us have been reading a number of books uh, together. One of the books we've read is entitled, She's Got the Wrong Guy. And we're going to meet this afternoon uh, to talk about our reading together. If you've not read this book, but you'd be interested to come in and be a part of that conversation, please see Russ, and he would love to tell you about it. We'd love to have you. We want to equip one another how to prepare and how to live uh, according to God's ways, even as we think about the relationship of marriage. So with that in mind, with that long introduction, why we're talking about marriage, let's open God's Word to Ephesians chapter um, 5. We'll be reading from verse 15 all the way to verse 33. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, we'll be reading from verse 15 to 33. This is God's Word for us for our hearts, for our minds, for our marriages, for our expectation of marriage as well. Here's God's Word. The Apostle Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, 
as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with a word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one, has, no one ever hates his own flesh, but f- nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you pray with me? Asking God to bless the preaching of his word in our own hearts as we hear. Father, we pray that as we approach your word and the subject of marriage, Father, we pray that you would help us see the beauty, the glory, but also the challenge that you reveal in your word about marriage. Father, we pray that you would help us hear from you, help us see ourselves in light of your word, and help us, O Lord, to respond to you in the way we treat and expect and think of marriage. We pray this in the name of Christ and for his glory and honor. Amen. The title of the sermon this morning is The Glory and Challenge of Marriage. Both of these topics or both of these aspects of marriage are misunderstood today. The glory of marriage and the challenge of marriage. How do we misunderstand both of these today? Well, the glory of of marriage, we often misunderstand it um, in the sense that we we miss what the the real glory of marriage is. We, We think it's about the satisfaction of our own desires. We miss it. We also miss the challenge of marriage because we think the challenge is the other person. So we miss, miss to understand the challenge of marriage. So this morning we want to address both of these misunderstandings. And as we approach the topic of and the subject of marriage, I hope that by God's grace we can we can realign our hopes. And we can realign the solutions that we see in God's word for marriage. Let's look at each of these, the glory of marriage, and then we'll look at the challenge of marriage. What is the glory of marriage? We may think that marriage is glorious because we, we get to live the rest of our lives with the person we are attracted to. Uh, that we get to live with, for the rest of our lives to the, with a person who we expect would fulfill our dreams, who would meet our needs for companionship. Indeed, the the physical union of married life, the lifelong companionship, indeed make marriage a wonderful, a beautiful, 
a glorious experience. But there is a greater glory to marriage than what our physical eyes can see or what our physical bodies can experience. What is the glory of marriage? Well, the passage we have just read indicates, informs us, that the glory of marriage is that it puts on display God's love through Christ for sinners. Marriage puts on display God's love in Christ for sinners. In other words, it puts on display the gospel. Christ's love for the church is put on display in marriage, and the church's response to Christ is put on display in marriage. Did you notice how often in this passage, Paul qualifies the motivation of how husbands and wives should treat one another? There's always a comparison. In both scenarios, there, uh, there is a as. Do this as. Do this as the church submits to Christ. Do this as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then as the church submits to Christ, so the wife should submit to her husband. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But there is another dimension that we see in this in how marriage puts on display the gospel. And we see that in verse 32. Marriage puts on display the union between Christ and the church. Look at verse 32. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, when Paul is talking about marriage, he can't speak only about marriage. He can't just talk only about the husband and the wife. He's weaving in his talk about marriage. He's mixing in his address instruction about marriage. He's mixing instructions about Christ and the church. This tells us not only that we have a chance to put on display Christ's love for us and the human response to Christ, but marriage points to a deeper mystery, a mystery that God had in mind from the beginning of of creation, namely the union between Christ and the church. And when, when God intended to help us understand the union that He designed between Christ and the church, He wanted to give us a category to anticipate what that union would be like. And the category that God created to help us experience, to help us understand, to help us anticipate that union between Christ and the church, the category that God created to help us make sense of that future is the institution of marriage. This has several implications for us as believers, dear friends. This means that for Christians... Marriage has a higher purpose than simply to make us happy. 
Marriage has a higher calling than simply to fulfill our need for companionship or our craving for physical union or even the desire to raise a family. Now, all of these things are great things to experience in marriage. And God blesses us in in fulfilling those needs. But according to the Bible, marriage is not just about you and your spouse. And it's not just about you and your happiness. Rather, God designed marriage to put on display and to help us get a category and an understanding in slow motion, in daily life, of the reality of the gospel. Marriage for Christians is about what God has done for us in Jesus and how we respond to Him And how we live out that union with Him. By the way, we live out the union with our spouses. Now, some people might say, Pastor, I just want a happy marriage. I'm just praying that God would give give me a a marriage that, that is satisfying, that is happy. That's all I want. Friends, if you are a Christian, God reveals to us that what is taking place in our marriage is higher than merely our happiness. What is happening in our marriage is to be a display of how Jesus relates to us and how we are related, called to relate to Him. I love how Pastor Tim Keller in his book, uh, The Meaning of Marriage. By the way, I, I strongly encourage you to, if you want to read more upon marriage, there's two books I would recommend you to read. Uh, Tim Keller, The Meaning of Marriage, and Mike Mason, The Mystery of Marriage. Pastor Tim Keller says the following, If God had the gospel of Jesus' salvation in mind when he established marriage, then marriage only works to the degree that approximates the pattern of God's self-giving love in Christ. Marriage only works to the degree that it approximates, that it, that it follows the pattern that God has given us in, the, in, in God's self-giving love for us in Jesus. Husbands and wives, Do you relate to one another in the way that Christ gave himself up for the church and in the way that that the church submits to Christ? Marriage is not only a display of the gospel. Marriage is actually a place where the gospel hits home. Marriage is actually the place where you take the gospel home. Marriage is the realm where the gospel is lived out daily. Day in, day out. The reason why wives are called to submit is because of the union that is to exist between the body and the head. Biblical submission um, is a category oftentimes wrongly understood and definitely by the world and also even by Christians. Biblical submission is not about complying against our will. Rather, it's about yielding our life to the other willingly and joyfully for the sake of Christ. Not simply for the sake of the other. It's actually for the sake of Christ. Out of worship for Christ. Now, it is true that God created a pattern of responsibility in the home. 
Even though husbands and wives are equal in worth and value, God assigned different roles and responsibilities. And biblical submission in the home is a recognition of God's order in the home. But submission is not merely a recognition of the husband's authority. Submission is not merely a recognition of the husband's authority. Friends, submission is about union. The union that should exist between the body and the head. What would you say if in our physical bodies, the brain began giving one signal? Turn to the right. But the body, the hand, turns to the left. What would you say if the brain says, I want to sit up, and you just can't? The body won't do anything. What would you do if, if you see a huge disconnect between what happens in the head and what the members of your body actually do? You would call the doctor and check yourself to make sure. Is everything okay? Because we assume and we expect that there would be a union between what happens in the brain and what happens in the rest of the body. Right? How many of you would feel like something's wrong if, if your brain is going one direction but your body is acting totally different? Friends, the union that exists and ought to exist between the, the head and the body shows the, what, what, what ought to all happen between Christ and the church, between what ought to happen between husbands and wives. The gospel is not merely the message that God save us through Jesus but also that God unites us to Jesus. Let me say that again. The gospel is not merely the message that God saves us through Jesus. The gospel is also the message that God unites us to Jesus and makes us, once we are saved, God makes us the body of Christ so that Jesus is the head of the body, and the body responds to the head. The church is called to respond to to the head, to Christ, because we are now one body with Jesus. So that our union as a body, as a church with Jesus, exists because God saved us. Through Christ. Wives and husbands are called to relate to one another in such a way that the union between Christ and the church is now put on display day in and day out. Dear wives, the command to submit that the gospel and the Bible gives you to submit to your own husband is not merely a submission to authority. 
although that is true. But it's about a submission to show the willingness to be in union, in a healthy union with your husband. It is hard to be united without being willing to submit. The effects of being unwilling to practice joyful and willing submission in the home is tearing down the union that God designed to exist between a husband and a wife. Now at this point, I imagine that at least in some of the minds of some of you, some of you might be jumping off your seats, not physically, but mentally, and say, that's not fair. What do you mean? The, the, the wife is, is given this responsibility to, to, to take ownership of this union through submitting, and the husband is only told to, to love? That's just not fair. My friends, it would be true that it's not fair if what you meant by love is sentimental love. But if we keep reading what the Bible says to the husbands about what it means to love their wives, the situation would be a little more different. Husbands, you are called, we are called to love our wives by giving ourselves up for them. Because that's what Christ did for the church. The love that the Bible commands husbands to have for their wives is a self-denying, self-giving love. Christ could not unite himself to sinners. Christ, because of his holiness, because of the perfection of God, could not unite himself to sinners unless he cleansed them. And the only means for Christ to cleanse sinners was for Christ to shed his blood so that through his blood, Christ might cleanse and sanctify sinners to himself and be able to unite himself to them. In order for Jesus to be united to the church, and in order for God to unite the church to Christ, Jesus had to give himself up. Husbands, do you want to be united with your wife in a way that shows the glory of the gospel in the union between Christ and the church? If you want to be united to your wife that way, you need to give up more than your clothes. You need to give up yourself. You need to give up your own self-centered, self-controlling way of thinking about yourself. Husbands, this passage is not commanding husbands to act like you're the head. There's no implication, practical, explicit application here in this passage that husbands, you need to act like the head. Because oftentimes, what we mean by that is Husbands, you need to assert yourself and make sure that your wife understands that you are in authority. This is not what this passage is leading husbands to apply towards their wives. Rather, this passage is actually saying the head has given himself up for the body. 
That is what Christ has done as a head. You see, even though the command to submit and love sacrificially are not exactly identical, both have a common characteristic in mind. The common characteristic between the command to to submit and the command to to love in a self-giving way, the common characteristic of both is that both spouses are required to give up themselves for the sake of the other. Friends, the secret to a glorious marriage is not to compromise halfway, but to surrender fully for the sake of the other. Now, even though the commands for the wives and the husbands are different, they have this this common this common notion of yielding for the sake of the other. For the wife, it takes the form of trusting submission, willing and joyful submission to the husband. For the husband, it takes the form of self-denying love. The glory of marriage is putting on display both of those forms so that we put on display the reality of what it means to be united with Christ. I started off saying that we have a wrong impression about the glory of marriage. We have a very self-centered, self-gratifying view of marriage, and thus we think that the glory of marriage is about being self, yourself being gratified, self-gratification. The Bible says that the glory of marriage is that it's a display of yielding ourselves to show what Christ has done for us. We not only have a tendency to misunderstand the glory of marriage, we have a tendency to misunderstand the challenge of marriage. So let's look the second part of our time together. Let's look at the challenge of marriage. To say marriage is challenging is no surprise to married people. The only people who might be surprised to hear that marriage is challenging are single adults or newlyweds. Some might say, what is so difficult about being married with a person that you love? And yet, once we get married, the challenges of marriage surface for some people earlier than for others. I remember some time ago, um, years ago, when I was on a mission trip, and we had a couple who had just gotten married before going on a mission trip. They were able to go on a honeymoon, um, and then from their honeymoon, they came straight to the mission field. And I remember asking them distinctly, Hey, welcome. How is married life? And I'm expecting a, you know, an, an, an exuberant, enthusiastic response, at least from one of them. And both were in deep agreement, agreement and said, it's rough. Wow. For some people, Marriage, the, the challenges of marriage surface as early as the honeymoon. But, but what is the challenge of marriage? It, it's easy to think, but why? How can it be challenging? It's easy be, to be tempted to think that uh, marriage is challenging because you discover. Your eyes have been opened. 
to really understand and see how the other person really is. So marriage feels challenging because it feels like your eyes have finally been opened up and you cannot believe that the other person is the way he or she is. Marriage might be challenging because you may discover that, wait, the love that you thought you had in you for the other person is no longer there. And all of a sudden, marriage is challenging because it feels like there's no more, there's no more love. Here's how the Bible wants us to think about the challenge of marriage. First of all, the Bible says we misunderstand the challenge of marriage. When marriage challenges us, or the marriage challenge surfaces, our first tendency is to think it's the other person, or that somehow love is missing. And what people, when people do that, we treat the other person as the cause for the challenge that we experience in marriage. Now, it's very possible, it's very possible that the other person is acting against you in a hurtful way. It's very likely. Perhaps you missed reading the final blueprint before you got married. That the person you are marrying is a sinner. It was in such fine print that you just didn't bother reading that part. And you had great hopes that, you know what? No matter how imperfect he is, I'm going to love him. But when you, when you get married and you have that love finally with you day in, day out, when you go to bed and when you wake up, when you do your banking account and when you think about your schedule of how you spend the rest of your week, it become, that person becomes intrusive. That person feels like has invaded your life. It feels like that person wants to take over. And all of a sudden, it becomes challenging. And you feel like the challenge is the other person. And the other person might do things that really hurt you. But the Bible says that the challenge in marriage is ultimately caused not by the other person, but by our own sinful nature. And this is why we misunderstand the challenge of, of marriage. The challenge of marriage is not the other person. The challenge of marriage is you. Is what you bring to the marriage. Your sinful nature. How do I know that from the Bible? Well, here's why. The solution that the Bible gives to a glorious marriage is never to fix the other person. In this passage that we've read about the, the glory of marriage, the recipe for the glory of marriage is not to tell the spouses how to fix the other person. When the Bible gives us a recipe for displaying the gospel in our marriage, the Bible doesn't say, work on your spouse. The Bible doesn't say, help them live out Jesus. No. The biblical commands are for each spouse to work on their own response to their spouse. 
the secret to a glorious marriage is not to fix your spouse. The secret to a glorious marriage is to yield yourself for the sake of the other. Marriage is challenging, dear friends. Not merely because we have married a sinner. Marriage is challenging because we are sinners. And we respond sinfully when our spouses sin against us. And marriage is challenging because it is hard and painful to deny ourselves. It is hard and painful to renounce sinful tendencies in us. Friends, we respond sinfully even when our spouses don't sin against us. Did you notice that? We respond sinfully even when our spouses don't sin against us. How much more do we respond sinfully when our spouses do sin against us? Again, Tim Keller in his book says, Marriage is hard because any two people who enter into marriage are spiritually broken by sin, which among other things means to be self-centered. Here's how someone else said about, about marriage and two people getting married. Um, this is Dennis Rudgemont. He said, uh, why should selfish, immature people suddenly become angels when they fall in love? Falling in love does not change our self-centered, selfish, sinful nature. So Keller says, why would it be easy to live lovingly and well with another human being in light of what is profoundly wrong with our human nature. Living 24-7 with another sinner in the home is challenging. Not only because the other person is a sinner, but because you are a sinner. And your sin compounds their sinful response to you. So why... That's why one of the helpful practices for building up your marriages is to address and focus on your self-centeredness, on your willingness to hold on to your own ways. Marriage is challenging because it challenges us to shift our attention to our own sinful responses. Husbands and wives, it is true that God uses our spouses to sanctify us, and God can use us to sanctify our spouses. But God gave you a spouse to help you forsake your own sin first. You are the first and foremost responsible for your sanctification. Conflicts in the marriage of believers often and easily begins when each spouse thinks that they are God's gift for the sanctification of the other. And you think, and you are convinced, that you are there to be God's instrument for your spouse's sanctification. I am not denying that the Lord can use you for the sanctification of your, of your spouse. What I am calling off is somehow thinking that that's your primary responsibility. I would encourage you to consider the other way around. That God is giving you a spouse 
first and foremost, foremost, work on your sanctification. So stop being consumed with how little or much your spouse is experiencing growth in sanctification. Rather, ask the Lord to help you see and help you help use your spouse to grow you first and foremost in sanctification. Husbands, is your wife seeing in you the same intensity for fighting off your sin as you are willing to show her sin? Are you confessing your sin to her and asking for forgiveness as much as you are willing to confront her with her sin? If you see in you a tendency to always focus on your spouse's sin, ask the Lord to help you turn your focus away from your spouse's sin and focus on your own sinful response. If you can't see your own sinful response in your life, that's a problem. That's a big problem. 1 John 1.10 says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You know why marriage is painful and challenging? Because denying yourself is painful and challenging. And, and no one is so close to you, and no one is so consistent with you to create opportunities for self-denial as much as your spouses. God has given you a spouse, among other things, to give you a daily opportunity and reminder that you are called to pick up your cross daily and follow Jesus. To deny yourself. Don't blame your spouse for making marriage hard. If self-denial was easy, then no matter what challenge your spouse would bring, You could go through them more easily. But self-denial is painful. That's why loving our wives as Christ loved the church is a difficult call. That's why submitting to the husband is a difficult call because both commands call us to deny ourselves regularly. And yet there's something glorious even in this challenge to deny ourselves. And here's the glory in the midst of this challenge. Because the person who God called to help us deny ourselves daily because that person is not our enemy. That person is the very one that we have committed our lives to. That person is the very one that one day we have, we have pledged our love to. It is that person that God calls and uses for our own sanctification. Why would we struggle with that? It's amazing, dear friends, that sin makes us hate our spouses when God uses them for our self-denial. It's amazing that we can so easily shift our feelings and affections for the one we have committed to love for the rest of our lives. And we develop feelings of bitterness and develop feelings of distance because we just don't like how God is using the other person for our own sanctification. Mike Mason said the following so beautifully. War specializes in the wholesale destruction of human life, whereas love, building up and celebrating life, specializes in the destruction of something far more powerful and unyielding than life itself, and that is the human ego. 
But God wants to use the love that your spouse has for you to break down the self-centered ego that you want to gratify. What resources do we have at our disposal to deal with this challenge of marriage? What resources do we have at our disposal to, re- to deal with, with a challenge that is in our own hearts? Two things. The gospel and the power of the Spirit. We've seen that throughout this passage, Paul uses, it comes back to the, to the reality of the gospel, the, cro- the, the cross of Christ and the response of the people to Christ. This, this gospel was, was described earlier in, or in a different letter that Paul wrote in, first Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, the Apostle Paul said the following, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that the one who died for us, therefore, that one has died for us, therefore all have died. And he died for all. Why? He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The effects of the death of Jesus upon us, dear friends, is not merely that we might have our sins forgiven, but that we who live might no longer live for ourselves. At the heart of sin, It's our desire to live for ourselves, for our gratification, for our desires, for our expectations, for our dreams. And we do that, and we bring that to our marriages, and we impose that on our spouses, and we evaluate our spouses based on how well they meet our self-gratifying desires. Friends, the gospel enables us to stop living for ourselves not only in our spiritual lives, but even in our marriages. Apart from repenting of our sin and trusting in Jesus, we cannot give up living for ourselves. Friends, if you have never trusted in Christ, if you have never repented of your sin, I encourage you to do so today. When we turn away from our sin and ask God to save us, and we trust that what Jesus has done for us, breaks the power of sin, pays the penalty of sin, and declares us right with God. Oh, friends, when we do that, when we ask God to save us through Christ, something happens in our hearts. The bondage that held us captives to live for ourselves is broken. And when that's broken, we now have a resource, a, a, a freedom, an ability to actually die to ourselves and put others before us. If you are a believer, ask God to help you not live for yourself, but for the one who saved you. And what ha- when that happens regularly, the first one who will see some change will be your spouse. Friends, don't wait for your spouse to do this first. Husbands, don't just pray that your wife will start living this way 
so that you will cash out the benefits of her submission to Christ? You give yourself first to the Lord. You surrender your, your, your ways. You commit to the Lord in a fresh way. Marriage, said Mike Mason, is intended to be an environment in which we will be lovingly yet persistently confronted with the plainest and ugliest evidence of our sinfulness and thus be encouraged on a daily basis to repent and to change. Friends, thank God. Thank God that He gives you such daily reminders and opportunities to die to yourself. Keller said, marriage is a major vehicle for the gospel's remaking of your heart from the inside out. The reason that marriage is so painful and yet so wonderful is because it is a reflection of the gospel, which is painful and wonderful at once. The other resource that we have in, in dealing with the challenge of marriage is not only the, the gospel, but also the spirit. Paul brought this entire talk about marriage. How did he get here? He got here because he was talking in Ephesians 5, 18. He was talking about being filled with the Spirit. Paul said, do not be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And what does that mean? It has five verbs. Starting with verse 19, there's five verbs that describe what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And the last of the verbs, the fifth one, is submitting to one another. This means, dear friends, that being filled with the Spirit in our lives shows up in the way we're willing to submit ourselves to others. The Spirit of God puts the highlight on Christ. The ministry of the Holy Spirit has always been and always will be to put a highlight on the ministry of Jesus, what Jesus has done for us. And when the Spirit fills our hearts and our lives, it's like, it's like the spotlight on Christ is all over our minds. And when that happens, we are faced with Christ before us and with our relationships, and, and we start comparing, this is what Jesus did. This is how I'm treating my wife. This is how I'm treating my husband. Oh, no. I am such a poor example of what Jesus has done. So the, feel, the feeling of the Spirit is to fill us with more of Jesus, to bring Jesus close to us, so that when Jesus is so close to us, it begins affecting our relationships. A person in whom the Spirit is low is a person in whom continues to live for themselves. A person in whom the Spirit is, is filling up to the brim is a person who is practicing living daily a life of submission to others. For friends, we need the gospel, the truth of what Christ has done for us. And we need the, the filling of the Holy Spirit to help us treat our wives, treat our husbands in a way that glorifies the gospel. Friends, the glory and challenge of marriage, the glory of marriage is that it points to the union between Christ and the church. And there's a union that goes beyond the physical manifestations. So the husbands and wives get to unite their lives and become one beyond their physical union. And the oneness is a picture of Christ and the church. And that oneness, dear friends, is shown through the degree to which each of the two are willing to yield one another, yield to one another, so that there's now a union between them. They're really one. 
How sad if our marriages are a manifestation of oneness only at the physical level and fail to actually show the deeper spiritual oneness that is supposed to take place among our wills in the self-denial. My point this morning is that the marriage, the glory of marriage is higher than you think. It's higher than physical. It's higher than even emotional. It's actually higher because it points to the oneness that it's supposed to exist between us and Jesus. Your challenge of marriage is not your spouse, dear friends. The challenge of marriage is your own sinfulness, your own self-centeredness. So I want to conclude with two quotes that I've used before from, Mike, from Keller. It is possible to feel you are madly in love with someone when it is really just an attraction to someone who can meet your needs and address the insecurities and doubts that you have about yourself. In that kind of relationship, you will demand and control rather than serve and give. The only way to avoid sacrificing your partner's joy and freedom on the altar of your need is to turn to the ultimate lover of your soul. He voluntarily sacrificed himself on the cross. Marriage, dear friends, is living with this kind of glory. The glory of Christ gave himself up for his people. I pray that that glory would be in our marriages. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, you have given us a gift that we cannot fully comprehend. You have given us Christ. And you have made it possible for sinners like us to be united with him in a way that we can't understand fully. And yet, O oh Lord, you have given us a daily opportunity to practice and to anticipate and to understand that union. By the way, husbands and wives relate to one another in marriage. Father, forgive us when we have put a bad picture, a bad display of the gospel. Father, forgive us when we have loved one another merely out of selfish, self-centered, self-gratifying motives. We pray that you would help our hearts and minds to be filled with the glory of the love of Christ. We pray that the Holy Spirit would fill our hearts and help Help us bring Jesus close up to each of our hearts and minds so that as we behold the love of Christ, we may have love, the love that is needed to turn to our spouses, to turn to our marriages and exhibit that in a way that frees us to love the other person for your glory. In the name of Jesus we pray.